Oh hey, you're listening to Pep Talk, a podcast launched during the national lockdown in April 2020 to celebrate and support our favourite New Zealand businesses. Join Grace Creft, ex-lawyer and former owner of Sweet Bakery and Cakery, to hear about how some of our favourite businesses built their brands, the ups and downs along the way, and what we can do to support them, both now and once business as usual returns. So, are you ready for a little pep talk on your coffee break? Then here's your host, Grace. Okay guys, I swear I'm not just really biased, but today we just happen to have another wonderful Wairarapa based business to share the story of on Pep Talk today, which happens to be where I live, I know, but this one has been going strong for a long time now and quite often we do hear stories on Pep Talk of businesses that are quite new and so I'm really excited to share this story of longevity with you guys. Get ready for the very fun story of Thunderpants, direct from owner Josie. The Thunderpants gang, if you haven't heard of them, make kick-ass undies. These undies are organic, they're New Zealand made, and best of all, they are designed so they won't go up your bum. <laughs> With over 30 years of business under their belts, this is a great story all about getting started, resilience, keeping the passion alive, getting into export, adaptation, and, you know, trying to convince a stuffy old bank manager to take a chance on your new underpants business. And yes, of course, as you'd imagine, it is a little bit cheeky. So let's go. Hey, Josie, welcome to Pep Talk. How are you? I'm great, thanks, Grace. How are you? <laughs> yeah, really good. Thank you. And Josie was just saying before we hit record that everyone at Thunderpants has gone home for the day and it is 3.30pm. So I thought that sounded like a pretty great culture to be working in. <laughs> yes, they do start early. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> That's all right. It's all about balance. That's good. All right. Well, I'm very keen to hear this whole story from you. Very long story, I imagine, over 20 something years. So I think it's going to be a really interesting one. Um, quite often we talk to quite new businesses on Pep Talk. So I'm really keen to kind of get your take um, coming from a business that's been around for such a long time, which is amazing. Um, but before we do jump into all of that, uh, every time we do a pep talk, we always do some this or that questions to warm up. So these are just very quick fire. They're not serious. Don't worry. Just um, give me your first instinct. Ready to roll? Yep. All right. Number one, town or country? Country. <laughs> not surprising because you you live in Martinborough don't you I do live in Martinborough yep. and I was born on a sheep farm so I'm oh. definitely a country girl even better that's awesome was that in Martinborough as well where you about where you 15 minutes from Martinborough sort of we used to affiliate more with Featherston than yep. Martinborough back in the day nice. oh you're born and raised that's fantastic <laughs> <laughs> all right next up we've got early bird or night owl Night owl. Okay. <laughs> That's why some leave at 3.30 because they've started at 7 or something uh, or a bit later. And some of us don't start until quite late and may stay quite late. <laughs> hey, that's the beauty of having your own business, right? You can, you know, you don't have set hours. You can kind of do what suits you best. So It's okay. also the blessing of an online business. <laughs> True, not having a shop that you have to have set hours. 
Mm. Mm, true. All right, next we've got Christmas or Easter? Hmm. Easter. Well, Easter, Christmas is often fraught with, you know, where are you going, who, you know, mm. com- trying to combine families and all that jazz. And Easter is generally just a holiday with your mates. <laughs> Yeah, and chocolate. So, you know, and a lot of chocolate, yeah. Can't complain. <laughs> no. Okay, we've got rebel or rule follower. Rebel. <laughs> I thought you might say that. I'm, I'm glad to hear that. <laughs> nice. All right, and then last one we've got. Would you rather eat only cheese for a year or not be able to eat cheese for a year? Uh... <laughs> As long as I can still eat butter, I'm okay to leave the cheese. Okay. <laughs> yeah. All right. We'll, we'll allow that. <laughs> yeah. I really had to think about that one when I put it in. I was like, what would I cheat? What would I choose? Sorry. Not what would I cheese? <laughs> you obviously know, like cheese quite a lot. Yeah. But then I think if you ate only that for a year, you'd be well sick of it. I, I think so. For like a month. Yeah. Good call. All right. Okay. Serious stuff is out of the way. Let's move into hearing your story. So normally kind of we kick off on pep talk. We talk a little bit about like the pre-business time. There's often a bit of background there, like because these businesses, like I said, are sometimes quite new. And we're like, what were you doing before? What jobs were you in? But for you, you've been working on this for like 26 years or something like that. But um, there might not be that much background behind it. But maybe you can paint us a bit of a picture of what you were up to before you started the business. Sure. So, well, like I said, I grew up in the South Wairarapa on a sheep farm. So I was one of five children. Um, And then I did the old boarding school thing and then came back and did my last year at school at the local high school. Uh, And from there, I tried to go to university. (laughs) I lasted about six weeks. It sounds like a good story. (laughs) Try. (laughs) My brother was similar. He lasted maybe five weeks, I think. Um, What were you going to be studying? I I was just doing a a Bachelor of Arts, you know, and sort of, um, I don't even know why I was there, Grace, because it really was a bit silly. (laughs) So in the end, I ended up in kitchens and, um, and had a really great career cooking for quite a number of years um, here and in the UK overseas in France and also in Australia oh wow so like Um, was it high like fine dining kind of cooking uh, well I did a um, I did a a culinary course in Paris for a year Um, and I was quite young when I went over there I was only about 18 I think Um, and then uh, yeah, it varied. It varied between fine dining and other things, but being the rebel in me didn't really like those fine yeah. dining kitchens and that brigade-style cooking. Uh, but I did uh, probably the best part of it for me was working with Peter Gordon at the Sugar Club, the original Sugar Club in Wellington. Uh, and But then I went to Australia, and uh, when I got to around 30, I kind of worked out that, um, you know, that that career choice was quite antisocial. <laughs> well, very social after hours, but quite antisocial unless you were socialising with people in the same industry. And it's pretty hard graft. So, And I did want to 
go back to my original passion when I was a teenager of textile design. So I looked, I, I um, applied for the textile design course in Nelson in New Zealand and came back uh, to go and do that course where my sister Sophie was already studying visual arts there. Oh, I see. So that's kind of how you get to to the. I can see the beginnings of the Thunderpants story in that. And I gather that it kind of was it one of those classic things that you hear about with business that it kind of came from solving a problem that you felt you had. Is that right? Do you want to tell us that kind of story of where the idea came from? Absolutely. What? Well, I was do, busy doing my course. I really loved textile design. I always thought I'd just be a screen printer or a textile designer, uh, but I did always sew and do that kind of stuff as well and was always a maker. So um, when I, uh, having been an earner before and then going back to being a student and buying underwear and things and being sort of quite rough on clothes and things, I was <laughs> like... Um, I'd buy a pair of new undies or something and pop them on and my finger would go through under where the elastic was or whatever and then I thought, God, there's another sort of $12 I'm thrown away. So I thought we could do a better job of this and in the course we had a lingerie component or a brief that we were doing and my flatmate at the time, Victoria McKenzie, well, had made some undies with a friend of hers and so I um, and I was watching what they were doing. So then I took those undies and thought I could do something more with them via my course. Um, and so I did that, and they were really great. So Victoria and I started making them together, um, and then you know give them away to friends and family for birthdays and presents and whatnot. And then they started asking for more. And so we started making them pay for them. <laughs> nice <laughs> and, one. Yeah, and then we sort of figured that maybe, you know, there could be a business in this. And then there was a business component in the course. And I said, well, it's a bit silly trying to do some sort of fictitious business. I'll just actually do a business. And so Victoria and I put $30 each in. And, and I think it was an Easter holiday. Victoria was also a Wairapa girl. She grew up in Masterton. So we both came back up here and it was really quite amusing because, you know, we didn't have a car. So there we were in our 30s. Mum drove us over to the Levana factory shop with our $30 each. <laughs> <laughs> and yeah. we bought some uh, fabric and took it back and started printing it up and uh, everything was very equitable in those days we'd do a woodcut design and so, so it was like the artichoke print that we still run now one of those artichokes is woodcut by myself and the other one's woodcut by Victoria <laughs> it's just hilarious really anyway this all went on and we're, I had to put a business um plan together and go to the bank and all that sort of stuff and it was all pretty funny trying to persuade people to um buy uh, to back thunderpants which amusingly at the time at that particular era in 1995 um chocolate brown was you know the color of the moment so chocolate brown underpants 
quite practical, really. (laughs) That were very sort of large by comparison what was on the market at the time. And most bank managers were male, so not many of them really got it, uh, except for the good old National Bank came to the party. And so we were off. Wow, what a beginning. I love that. (laughs) And I feel like you must have had a bit of, you must have been kind of entrepreneurial minded because a lot of people wouldn't see the opportunity of that to be a business, but something must have sparked it in you to be like, this could be something. I've always liked that idea of making things and selling them. Um, So yeah, I guess I've always had a, a little bit of an entrepreneurial streak. Uh, although my first foray into sewing things in the mid-80s was pretty bad where I hadn't actually worked out that if you were, you know, tights were the thing then and I thought I could make tights but I didn't actually know you had to use a ballpoint needle to do that so I made all these tights and then people put them on they instantly laddered. <laughs> I've come a long way since then. <laughs> you have, you have. And what about the name? Was it called Thunderpants at that stage? Well, we were, no, we didn't know what to call it. Um, and I remember my eldest sister, Kate, who also lived in Nelson, I went around to babysit for the kids one night, and I said, what are we going to call these bloody undies? And she said, oh, Thunderpants, of course, because that's what we called big undies in the wider rapper when we were growing up. I see. Yeah. Oh, wow. It's yeah. such a good name because I, I, I'm, I no doubt that what you're doing would have been successful otherwise. But I do think that that must be a pretty key part of it. Like it's, it's very memorable, right? That's right. It certainly is. And I remember, and the sort of tagline to it was Thunderpants are go. They won't go up your bum. <laughs> and. <laughs> I remember and, that. That's like my what I have in my head about you guys. Yeah, and I remember we had quite a um, uh, sort of almost prudish, I guess, um, tutor there at the time that said to me, do you really have to say they don't go up your bum? And I said, well, yes, actually, because that's the bit they're going to remember. Yeah, <laughs> kind of the point, right? That's, yeah. Yeah. So it was very funny, and they were all handmade then, all hand-printed. We lived in this beautiful house overlooking the Nelson Harbour, where I shared the house with Victoria and another poor, long-suffering flatmate who got a lot of free undies called Sarah. Um, And Victoria and I had an exhibition of our undies when we launched them uh, at a gallery in Nelson and then that there was a sort of story written about them and that was syndicated around the papers around the place and that kind of helped as well. So then we, we then had to mock it all up, you know, because and then trot around and go and try and sell them and get some orders to satisfy the bank that we were all good. Um, um, so we did that and that went well and uh, then we had to put our first production run into manufacturing in a factory rather than sew them all ourselves and uh, I do remember this really rather hilarious moment where we went to this factory in Palmerston North where we were holding the patterns and the guy that ran the factory was holding the other side of the patterns and we were sort of tussling with them like it was like our baby where do we put this intellectual property over there you know <laughs> like is he going to copy our underpants like and then in the end he just looked at us and said girls 
if you want to move forward with this, you're going to have to let go. (laughs) (laughs) Very symbolic. (laughs) So, yeah, it was pretty funny those early days. They were very entertaining. All our friends were roped in to roll the undies and do the whole business a real team effort yeah yeah oh, amazing and that's yeah. probably a good chance to stop and actually tell people about what it is about thunderpants that is so special and is still very much the heart of your business just in case they haven't heard although i'd be surprised if if people <laughs> haven't but tell us what it what it actually is that thunderpants does and is about well thunderpants uh i describe them as the modern day cotton tail so they're a um the original underpant is a full brief, you know, high-waisted undie uh, with um, about a 10% lycra content in the cotton fabric. So we all the elastic is in the garment. There's none in the leg or the waist. So um, they're very staunch. They're cut with enough fabric to actually cover everything. They don't move around on your body, so you're not sort of having to pick out a wedgie or whatever, you know. So they stay put, um, they're very hard wearing, uh, they're super comfy, and they come in really bright colours and fun prints and things. Yeah, yeah. nice. Good, good summary. And I think that other kind of big side of everything, like obviously the physical product is a big part of it, but also I think your values come across really strongly, right? Like the, the non-tangible part of your business, like... Uh, that you always use fair trade organic cotton and that you're living wage registered. Accredited, yep. Yeah, and carb- working towards carbon neutral, is it? We're almost there, I nice. think. It's quite hard to... It's a big job. It's Well, we've, we've had the carbon footprint of a pair of undies collated, you know, and um, I think we're pretty much there, but it's always very difficult to kind of know really where you're at with that kind of yeah, thing. Yeah, lots of movements um, and things. Yeah. 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 So, but when we first started, of course, none of this was anything. We just wanted to make undies that were made in New Zealand and made by women for women um, and to, you know, and not, we weren't interested in that lingerie sort of, you know, marketing strategy. Uh, so it and then we wanted to go fair trade. Um, well, Victoria went off, and um, after I we finished, after I finished the course in Nelson, Victoria, who was the um, she'd already done her course there, and then was the uh, I can't remember what you call them, but oh, technician there at the yeah. So she wasn't actually a student at the time; she was working there. And then when I finished. We all left the area, and Victoria went to Auckland and got full-time work in the television industry, and I came back to uh, the Wairarapa and to Martinborough because it had got a bit more interesting by then. Um, and uh, I wanted to set up a bricks-and-mortar store so that people could, you know, it kind of needed a face, Um and so it was at that point that Victoria and I sort of separated because there really wasn't anything going on in the business. It was very, very early days, um, but it kind of needed somewhere to live to push it on. So I, because I was, I was renting a house out in the country and I was running it from there, 
um, and in the weekend people from Wellington would come around, they'd be driving up the drive trying to find where these undies were and all this sort of stuff. So it was like, it was all a bit sort of obscure really. So, <laughs> then, house, like, yeah. <laughs> so, so then I took it over and I opened a store in Martinborough called Thrive, which I had for 18 years. And um, I tested it out first. Oh, that was quite funny, actually. I tested it out by, I had friends that had a cafe and, um, and the wife had a, um, a hairdressing salon and, and the thing next door to the cafe. And so Carol would let me go in there every Friday evening. I'd go in and remove everything that looked like it was a hairdresser and fill it up like a clothes shop and trade for two days and give her $20 a day. <laughs> and then, and then, <laughs> That's a good arrangement. <laughs> yeah, and then I'd um, turn it back into a hairdresser again at the end of the day and, I, and put all my stuff back in the car and drive back out to this house in the country I was in. And... Uh, about 15 years after that I met one of the women that was one of the hairdressers in there and she said I never knew that was happening I always wondered why everything was in slightly weird place when I came in on Monday morning so, it's like, so she never actually knew it was going on but oh, I, did, though. Yeah. I did that for six weeks and the reception was really good, so I mm. thought I felt comfortable to actually take on a lease and open a store. Good idea to test it like that, yeah, because mm. I think that comes up in a few of my chats with people on Pep Talk, like having a way, like a low-risk way of just trying it out before you go too deep and commit, you know, to a five-year lease or something like that, just to, like, do a, do a market or, mm. like, use a bowling club after hours like some other businesses have and things. Like, that makes perfect sense. Yeah, I think it's really a good idea to do everything on a shoestring to start with rather mm. than get yourself, sort of go all out and get crazy with get spending yeah, and then yeah. get stuck. Because that's really the stuff you're spending on at that point are probably not really where you need to be spending. Because mm, you just don't really know at first. Yeah, yeah. absolutely. And that kind of, because you said you had your retail store for 18 years and it's, and Thunderpants has been around for, I think it was 26, so it's I calculated maybe. Yep, I started <laughs> it in 1995, but the company was uh, started in 96. Mm, and nice. then the store in Martinborough was started in 98. Mm, there's definitely longevity there. Like that, you know, when you hear about the fact that most small businesses fail within five years, that's quite an achievement it's a it's a long time to last but also to grow um and i kind of wondered if you had any like thoughts or ideas on how that you know like what the secret to that has been and how you've managed to kind of for you personally keep it fresh and keep the passion and the interest that you have for it what's your secret well i think i still love textile design so um i really um, I love it when we put a make get a new print together and work out the colours and all that sort of stuff is still really fun and I actually really like wearing the product so um, I really like that whole side of it. Um, I love it when you hear or see people 
enjoying your product. Um, we have some incredibly loyal customers that have been with us probably for 26 years now. Um, and we also have customers that have grown up just wearing Thunderpets. So they started in kids' ones, you know, they come into the shop and choose their undies, and now they're grown people and uh, they're still doing it, you know. Uh, so that's really fun. Yeah, and I guess as well because you've kind of expanded a little bit into other products, haven't you too? Because you do a bit of swimwear now and some period products and things as well. Um, that must have helped, I guess, keep it fresh. Yes, so the swimwear is great. Um, the, we've just this week launched uh, our crop top bra that I've been working on for an unreasonable amount of time. Uh, <laughs> and that's uh, looking like it's being well received. Um, I think uh, there's always challenges, you see, and so it's there's, there's no reason to get bored or there's always a challenge around the corner everywhere i mean like we've changed our business model so many times i couldn't tell you uh and at one point there when we had that shop um uh we had thunderpants retail thunderpants wholesale and then we had our clothes this women's wear range we did thrive so we did two seasons every year with that and wholesaled that into other stores. So we really had about four businesses going at once, as well as young children, and it was just ridiculous, really. Um, so we slowly started pairing that back, and now we just have Thunderpants sold retail online, and life is so much better. <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, yeah, I can believe that. And yeah. do you do you still wholesale the no. products? Not at all. No, huh? not at all. Because because once we started our journey, like we've always had the aspiration to be, like I said, when we first set out, it was really about women designing for women and making a great quality product, uh, and being New Zealand made and new, make, using New Zealand made fabric. Um, and then as you know time went on we then persuaded them to bring in uh, organic yarn for us in New Zealand and then once we they'd got their head around that we then persuaded them to go fair trade so then um, so that was really great uh, but all these things cost and then we decided you know obviously we want to be a good employees employers so and we would like everyone in the supply chain to be um, you know have a fair fair working conditions and fair wages so then we um, you know we had to have our, our makers and everyone come on board to join us if we wanted to be living wage accredited it's not just the crew of us here that uh, market, design market, and dispatch the product, but it's also the crew of women in Carton that make the product um, that also uh, are part of the living wage thing. So everybody gets an, a live above living wage rate. Um, and then by being fair trade, we have. Um, you know, that helps ensure that everyone else down the line is treated fairly and gets paid well for what they do. Um, so all those things stack up. 
and also because of the nature of the product it's quite you know they're not like a flimsy little pair of undies um they're quite a staunch product so they're quite heavy to post or freight and all that jazz uh they're not stingy in the amount of fabric they use so there's a whole lot of things there that make them quite an expensive item to make uh so there really never was even before we added all those um, other sustainable things in there, there was never a proper wholesale margin mm. anyway. Yeah. Uh, wholesale customers were selling them because they liked them and they got people in the store, but they weren't. They certainly weren't making any money out of them. So then we had to decide which way we would go. And because we were going down the sustainable ethical route, um, there wasn't enough room to continue to wholesale so that we took that leap and took it all online and um yeah yeah well i guess the rise of online has really i mean obviously that's still a very key place for wholesale but i'm guessing for you guys at the beginning especially like wholesaling into little retail shops and things like you were was probably one of the only ways that people in certain areas could get your product whereas now you know anyone in the country and overseas can order it online so it kind of changes the the setup a little bit it absolutely does i mean we we went we went online fully about three years ago I think uh, we've always had a website I always find it hilarious that we've got an online business now when we first started I hadn't even sent an email it was yeah. like yeah, well, the <laughs> internet wasn't even really a, a yeah. thing then yeah yeah so funny and but now we're fully online and not only are we fully online but because we can't uh, there's not the fat in there to wholesale there's obviously not the fat in there to um, export so we had to come up with a new regime for that so we had to wait and find suitable sort of nut bars like ourselves <laughs> and uh, uh, we found one in Portland called Celeste and she makes um, Thunder, she has Thunderpants USA, which is uh, made under license to, well, we have an overriding company that holds all the intellectual mm. property yeah. called the Ministry of Pants. Oh, I like that. <laughs> <laughs> I was going to ask you how the setup was, because I saw you do US and UK, and they have their own websites and everything, so I was quite interested in how you'd landed on that. So they actually make them offshore Yeah, we themselves. wanted... Well, the sort of idea was that in the in, in the the UK and the US that they could replicate what we're doing here, so that they have their story of locally made product there. We all get the fabric together from the same place because the fabric is the key to how it works, how, and it's. Um, I mean, they would get it in America, but nobody's been able to replicate it yet, you know. So, I mean, it was New Zealand-made fabric, but nobody does it here anymore. So now it's Australian-made fabric. So that's, you know, as close as we can get to being in New Zealand. And it's an awesome company. Um, and they're, they're just really fantastic. Mm. And does it go well overseas? Like, do people seem to resonate with the same messaging and things that you found here? Absolutely. Totally. Yeah, they just love it. So and they so they so all three 
regions, New Zealand, America, and the US, uh, and the UK, all are contracted to the Ministry of Paint so that we all, you know, we all have to play the game in terms of how you market your product and mm -hmm. consistency. Uh, yeah, that kind of thing. Yeah. Mm. And so we all use the same patterns, they have the same construction, all that kind of thing. Mm. Yeah. Nice. Yeah, it's a good way to do it. And yeah, being at allowing them to be local in all of the regions is great because that's such a part of your story yeah um and i guess just the size of the market as well right like there's quite a lot more people in the u.s and the uk so. <laughs> there's quite a lot more just yes yeah. <laughs> <laughs> so right. just yeah just a little slice of their market would be quite satisfactory really absolutely <laughs> you don't yeah. need to go ballistic <laughs> yeah and i feel like you touched on the uh you know touched on living wage and your where you source your materials and everything being really important and then i think another part of what you guys do that we haven't really touched on yet is that kind of like inclusivity part of your story which I think is really valuable just like making sure that there's diversity and even down to like you know the models that you use and and the way that you talk and everything like I guess especially with underwear that is traditionally quite limited should we say in terms of inclusivity even though everyone of every size and shape and and gender and ethnicity wears underwear we only really see one kind of person wearing underwear in, in the media and things so tell me a bit about how that came about was it just like a natural thing for you or or a deliberate step well I, um a bit of both really uh i mean but like um, thunderpants is um myself and my sister sophie who's eight years younger than me and she bought into it sort of very early on um, and so both Sophie and I are probably a little bit rebelly and not really very, not not really conforming very much to sort of societal norms about how you should dress or how you should present yourself mm -hmm. or that kind of thing. Um, so really, I think Thunderpants for both Sophie and I and that and what you're talking about the way that we. Um, put ourselves forward and or market our product um, <clears throat> is really just a reflection of ourselves um, and uh, feeling that everybody's the same really it's not really relevant if you're big or small or pink or green or <laughs> male or female <laughs> or whatever you are it doesn't really matter um, but we all wear underpants, so the males will be nice and comfy and give you a bit of a laugh. I mean, I think everything, like, it's, it's, everything's just a bit too serious in life. Um, so, you know, I think that it's just natural for us to want it to be inclusive to everyone. I mean, I guess but we all get infuriated with all that photoshopping and uh all the rest of it we both have teenage daughters um we can see how unpleasant all that business is <laughs> like um and it's, it just seems ridiculous really yeah especially in social media coming you know it's just it's only going to get worse right and i'm i've got a three-year-old daughter and i'm already feeling stressed about what we're going to do about that in 10 years time or whatever <laughs> yes 
she'll be fine. <laughs> we'll just get her some thunderpants and she'll be fine. <laughs> yep. Yeah, I love that. And that makes sense because so much in business, so much of business when it's small business especially is about the people and it just it's just your natural personality and your natural inclination that flows through. Uh, but I do also think that that will be another really key part of your success is, is that storytelling and inclusivity and how you just it is quite a refreshing change i guess from what people are used to seeing so it really stands out oh that's great <laughs> yeah, yeah nice work and you did kind of touch on the challenges obviously you touched on that a little bit already but that's always a part of these kind of conversations because small business is really hard and especially over such a long time and a changing um, business landscape and world landscape so I'm interested to know like what you found to be over this time the biggest challenge that Thunderpants has faced. Well, we've had some kind of uh, yeah some quite big early on um, we didn't really understand the uh, exposure that you would get from having a website like our first website that we had was just a sort of view website and then email if you want to purchase anything uh, but even that, back then, we'd trademarked Thunderpants in New Zealand, uh, but we hadn't taken that trademark anywhere else. And it was quickly, the name was quickly picked up and trademarked by uh, a New Zealander that um, lived in Australia. Oh, interesting. And they trademarked it in the US, the UK, and Australia. Ooh. Yeah, so we had... so. Um, that was a sharp learning curve. Like we weren't going to pay them forty thousand dollars or whatever because we didn't have forty thousand um, dollars. We didn't go to a proper intellectual property lawyer and all that. We just went to a lawyer. Uh, we did. We were just naive, really. And in the end, we just rebranded a bit in those areas and just kind of skirted around it, and then waited and waited years and years and years, and eventually got those trademarks back in those countries. And now we have proper intellectual property lawyers that yeah. look after everything for us. So that that was that was a big one. Then I think the next real big one was. Uh, when we were still getting our fabric from Levana in Levin, um, it had a change of ownership over the years and their focus was elsewhere. They were much more focused on merino than they were on cotton, um, which is understandable, but, you know, it would have been nice to let us know. <laughs> <laughs> what is it though? <laughs> um, and we had a terrible year where our entire supply chain, every single part of it, uh, had a, um, a, a huge problem. And what it identified for us was that we were too sort of linear, or one, your, all your eggs were in one basket, didn't have any other sort of things going on. Um, and uh, oh, honestly, it was terrible. We had once we got over the actual fabric issues with the production of the fabric, we then had terrible issue with the printing um, where the guy who ran the print place in New Zealand had lost the plot a bit and then uh, he all, all his staff left and he was printing himself. And then so we had our first batch of good fabric in about six months came through. And uh, he put way too much, he'd forgotten how to print, he put way too much glue on the table. So when it pulled off the table, it was at its 
um, supreme stretch length <laughs> and then straight into the heat set thing. So you hit, set it without any um, reverse stretch, if you know what I mean. Right. Oh, God. So, so, <laughs> so we had that and then our poor, we had some major health issues in our maker's area. Um, that which were really dramatic. So every single part of the thing, even down to the labels, everything happened. But it was we're all in one year. <laughs> wow! It doesn't rain; it pours, right? Yeah. So then we we really cleaned it all up after that, and um, <laughs> and and then when um when Lavana went under, well, they decided to close shop and go to Vietnam. Um, the fab we'd, or, we'd already approached these Australians, um, ABMT in Australia, and they rang us because they heard about our fabric supplier closing shop before we did. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> oh, gosh. Yeah. Oh, we can laugh about it now, but I imagine at the time you weren't laughing. <laughs> well, it was fine because they were going to, you know, they said, don't worry, we'll help you. So, I mean, they, they were amazing. They were really great. But, um, yeah, there's been a lot of this. So that was that one. And then, oh, there's a, just things all the time, you know, but you just have to work through them. Yeah, absolutely. I think it kind of maybe at first when you're in business, you kind of think, you know, there'll just be like one problem and you'll and you're sort it out and then everything will be fine forever. But once you're actually in it, you kind of realize it's just a bit of a rolling, you know, I don't know, it just kind of rolls over. Like you might have a, a few months where everything's sailing and then something will come up but you'll sort it out and then something else will come up and it's kind of all just part of the tapestry of of running a business and all part of the fun right that's right well we tend to sort of run things here quite low-key now like we're pretty much like a family when Sophie and I are family and then Mish and Helen, uh, uh, who work here, Mish has been, well, I can never remember how long Mish has worked here, it's a long time. <laughs> so it's like you have these really key people that uh, are with you in your team and it makes it possible just to, you know, you can sort of, everyone can be a bit more relaxed about their working life because um, you have a small team but most people know how to do most things. Yeah, that makes a difference for sure. Yeah. yeah. And I guess on the flip side, like we've talked quite a bit about the challenges, but I mean, you've been doing this for 26 years. There must be something about it that it, it works for you, like you love it well, most of the time. What What is it <laughs> do you think that's been the most magic part of it that's kept you in it for this long? Uh... I, I just that whole thing being the master of your own destiny, and I, honestly, both Sophie and I are pretty much unemployable now. I'd say, um, <laughs> I, I just think that being in charge of your own thing and making something that you like um, and doing something that you enjoy. So, like just now, like we we. Um, uh, can go out into the we've got a sort of art roomy part out there so we just go out there and colour in underpants <laughs> and make like so we, when we had the COVID when we came out of COVID um, out of lockdown we didn't market it all over lockdown because we didn't think that was very fair to anyone um, so we just uh, did our um, we gave away a pair of undies a day uh, to um, lockdown heroes and some 
sometimes there would be like, you know, like there was that fabulous crew in Dunedin who all the staff moved into the um, yes. dementia ward or yeah, whatever. That's yeah, my, um, that's my auntie-in-law. Yeah. <laughs> I'm going to claim that, Michelle, who, run, who runs that centre. Yeah, and she told me that you guys had, had hooked them up. Well, so we thought they were amazing, but, you know, we were only giving away one a day because we didn't know how long this was going to go on for. <laughs> so we put it out there to our customer base that these people are cool and there's actually 13 of them there and they're all cool and they're all doing it. So maybe does anyone want to buy one of them a pair of undies? And, and that's how that went on. So that was great. So they all got um, rainbow unicorn sparkle underpants. <laughs> Just what we all needed at that time. Yeah. So, which meant that we had to actually paint or print or, you know, do all those. So there were quite a lot of them. <laughs> but um, what was I saying about that after that? After, after you got back from lockdown. And oh, yeah. So, yeah. well, we got back at the end of, like, lockdown finished, but our makers are immune compromised. And so they couldn't come back to work for a couple of weeks or whatever it was later. So there was a lag time. We'd already, the coffers of the, you know, the storeroom was completely barren. There was nothing in there at all. All we had to sell was plain uh, undies that we could decorate. So we got into doing um, hand prints and things on, on what stock we had there. And it's been really great actually, because it's, it gives us something new to offer our customers, but it also gives us something fun to do ourselves, like so we can get out there and throw a bit of dye around and do a bit of an get indigo vat and yeah. have a bit of fun. So you get all the orders out and do all your admin, and then you can go and play with dyes. It's <laughs> <laughs> fun, yeah. Yeah. Absolutely. I think that's definitely it's that kind of side of business, that flexibility and, and, like you put it, being the master of your own destiny, that's got to be a big part of what's in it for you or else, you know, you don't have that to drive you to put up with all those challenges that you're dealing with <laughs> along the way. That's right. Yeah. So, no, and it keeps it fun. So, so you know, that's all of us that go and do that. Everyone has their little design that they do and they might cool. do that for a few weeks and then you can come up with something else. <laughs> Yeah. Oh, it sounds like a really great team that you've built and a really great culture, I guess, is the way to yeah, put it. Yeah, it's your... good fun. Yeah, fantastic. Yeah. Oh, well, that is really cool. What a great story. And thank you for, for telling it all to us and sharing it. But we better wrap up. But before we do, I always like to pick people's brains a little bit before we let them go. So I always try and get some advice. And I've already shared a bit of wisdom with us, Josie. But <laughs> have you got a kind of favorite piece of advice that you can share? My, my favourite piece of advice to share for anyone, whether you're going into business or we're just into your working life, is find something you enjoy doing because you spend a heck of a lot of time working. That's pretty much it from me. Like, if you could, yeah, oh, and the don't think you have to have all the bells and whistles to start with. I mean, I think I was eight years into that, um, or, or possibly even 12 years into uh, the retail store thrive of mine and I remember saying some guy who came in I said oh because we only had a, a door as a counter and I said to him oh, I thought we're, we're going to get a proper counter and he just looked at me aghast like <laughs> what would you do that for this is part of the charm yeah. you know 
<laughs> so you just really don't need all that, all the bells and whistles to start with. Nice. Yeah, those are two very good tips. So I love that. Thank you for sharing. And yeah, telling us the whole Thunderpants story. Thanks, Josie. You're very welcome. <laughs> Have a good night. Bye. Bye-bye. Well, that was a rollicking good time chat. I recorded that a wee while ago because I had to grab Josie when she had some time. And now just listening back while I'm getting it ready for launch, I just remembered how fun it was to chat chat to Josie and what a wonderful creation she really has brought to life with Thunderpants. I think the things that really stood out to me are their values. You know, we talked about carbon neutral, being good employers, using organic fair trade cotton. There was so much good stuff in there, but it really felt like it wasn't just like a cheesy marketing checklist, tick the box kind of thing. It was obviously just what was coming naturally to them and felt right. And I also think just Josie's attitude around having fun and enjoying what you're working on, even with all those challenges that she told us about, hilarious in retrospect, but I imagine very stressful when they were happening. Josie and the team just seem to have such a fun attitude to life and business. And of course, there were some great lessons in getting started there as well, which you know is always a favorite of mine. Not feeling like you have to have everything perfectly lined up and all fancy from the beginning, rather just like cracking into it and seeing what happens. Make sure you check out Thunderpants on Instagram. They are ThunderpantsNZ and their website is thunderpants.co.nz. Enjoy. Thanks, guys. Until next time. Bye.